The game of the week in the Pac-12 comes this Friday. Washington, ranked 15th in the country, travels to Los Angeles to battle the undefeated Bruins of UCLA. What are the keys to the game for the Bruins and the Huskies, and who's emerging victorious? Let's go. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions, which is why, if you have not already and you would like continuous coverage of the Pac-12, we are five days a week here at the Locked On Network. Like, comment, subscribe, wherever you're listening to or watching this show. Thank you to everybody out there who has done so, and a thank you in advance to those who will continue to do so. At least, I hope. I'm very grateful for all of your support. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And according to our friends at Bet Online, Zach Anderson, Yak Seimer, host of Locked On UCLA Bruins, talk about this matchup. The betting markets think this is going to be a close game on Friday. It is hands down the biggest matchup of, of the week. I'm kind of glad it stands alone on a Friday. At least it's on national television, whereas last week, and yes, Pac-12 fans, I'm going to keep harping on this because it is so ridiculous that Oregon State and USC had to play on the Pac-12 network rather than the, um, rather than, I don't know, any of the various cable television channels so that a national audience could watch and enjoy it. But betting markets expect this one to be close. We'll talk about whether or not you feel that way, but it's great to have you back on the show as always, my man. Thanks for having me on once again. It should be a good one. So UCLA comes into this game 4-0. Washington comes into this game 4-0. And let's look big picture at what this game means for both of these teams because I think it's very different. It's an important one for, for both programs but for very different reasons. UCLA has a chance to prove that the weaker competition they've beaten up on so far has been a good team beating up on inferior competition, not a mediocre one doing that because Washington so far, I don't know how they could have looked better. First four games of the year at home, they now have to play a road heavy schedule going forward because of that. But it's working out that way, and Kalen DeBoer and company are taking advantage. The offense is clicking. This is the first time they have to play away from Husky Stadium, but they have a chance to prove that the first four games were not a fluke, right? That it was not just, you know, oh, maybe Michigan State wasn't as good as we thought, or Stanford's not as good as we thought. I think this is a Washington team that has looked really good game in and game out from basically every moment they've been on the field. They look like a well-coached, hungry football team, and they're playing like that right now. What do you think this game means for UCLA if they were able to get a win? I'm going to say maybe something slightly controversial here. I, this game means a lot more to UCLA than it does Washington. Washington, in year one of Kalen DeBoer, they're, they're going to grow. And this is spectacular the way they've started, probably more better than what we could have expected, whether you go from the preseason. The Huskies have just looked fantastic. They're clicking all cylinders. Kalen DeBoer is just the, the reload fix-it machine when he's the head coach. You know, he did that at Fresno State, saw it firsthand, and he's doing it here at Washington a lot faster than I would have expected. For UCLA, you look at their roster, this is such an old roster that for them 
to really get some confidence building into what could be the final years of Chip Kelly, whether it's the final years in the Pac-12, moving to the Big Ten and whatnot. This is almost a dream ride of sorts. Whether the UCLA fans have true confidence in Dorian Thompson-Robinson or the offensive line or wherever it is, getting a win would mean, hey, a win over a top 15 team, UCLA's next three games are all scheduled at the moment to be top 15 or better in terms of ranking when you play Washington at home, Utah at home, and then the bye, and you get Oregon on the road. I know you and I will be talking about that one, Spencer, pretty pretty soon here It'll in, in a couple weeks, but this is the beginning of the gauntlet. I've been teasing at least on Locked On UCLA. If the Bruins want to make their lofty goals of at least the Rose Bowl, you have to get a win against Washington. There's nothing short. You can find a way to maybe sneak one against Utah and Oregon if you're lucky, but no win against Washington, and the season almost starts to backfire and go in the tank, in my opinion. And I agree with you that it's a bigger game for UCLA because, yes, Washington has Pac-12 championship aspirations amongst their fan base. I don't think that's unreasonable with the way they have looked uh, at this point in the season, but if they lose... It is year one, right? And there were no championship expectations coming into this season, right? Their over-under win total was seven and a half. They weren't, you know, widely considered to be a team that that needed to contend, right? Everything Kalen DeBoer does to win right now is winning over the fan base, to be sure, as he should be, because he's also recruiting well for the Huskies in the 2023 cycle. But he's kind of playing with house money because when you bottom out the year before, all you're looking for in your first year as a head coach is improvement. And it, it's very obvious they're going to have that this season. They've already yeah. reached their win total from a year ago, and, and they're going to be at least a seven or eight win. T- like, that's the bare minimum that Washington, I think, is going to have as the season goes on. But for UCLA, it's year five with Chip Kelly. You've got an experienced quarterback. You've got experience on the roster Outside of Dorian Thompson-Robinson, you've got a great running back in Zach Charbonnet. You have a new defensive coordinator, sure, but there's some talent on that side of the ball, and the program has been building really for this season. I mean, the expectations coming into this year were higher for UCLA than for Washington, broadly speaking, because when you talked about Pac-12 championship dark horses, I think you heard UCLA's name before you heard Washington's name because most people assume it's probably going to take a year or two to really round that program back in a championship form. Maybe it'll only take one year. Maybe it's going to take zero years for Kalen DeBoer. We will see. But the pressure on this game for Chip Kelly and the Bruins, I think, is massive because if you don't win this one, then you have Utah next week. That's a tough game to win. Then you have to go at Oregon. This is the most winnable of your next three games. And if you're going to be a 9-10 win team this year, this feels like one that you really need to have because of the schedule that's coming. It's also important because if you don't win this game, the fans probably aren't going to come out for the rest of the year. There's been all these jokes. I've seen it. I've seen the picture of the wide shot of the empty Rose Bowl. And we've been joking off air all sorts of things. Even if the fans don't necessarily come for UCLA at the Rose Bowl this week, you beat Washington and prove to the rest of the fan base, hey, they're ready to compete, and with Utah looming and big games looming, that kind of trickles down the rest of the season to get a much better feeling about your team. All right, we beat a top 15 team, at least at the time, with Washington coming in if they get this win, that it can trickle down and can really change the complexion of the season. Right now, they kind of just look like a team who escaped what Josh Lewin said, the UCLA play-by-play voice, escaped 
the Sun Belt surprise, right? That's what they at right now. Washington, they're feeling high and mighty after dominating Stanford and just, for the most part, wiping the floor with Michigan State in the beginning of that game. And it did look close at the end there, but so far, it was Washington, not close. That yeah, game, but, but, that game, that saying, game was yeah. not close. Yeah, but, but just, you know, looking at the score, right? But at the end, it's like they've last two teams, big names, programs who recently, traditionally, at least in, you know, the last decade plus, solid programs, Washington saying, for the most part, we're back. And it'll be interesting how UCLA can match the energy coming from Seattle down to the Rose Bowl in Pasadena Friday night. Yeah, and I just look at UCLA and the start they've had to the year. I thought they'd be 4-0 at this point. They are. That South Alabama game, like you said, what was was an escape, and it shouldn't have been. And that, along with the first half of the Bowling Green game, that really gave me pause. And usually I'm willing to, to give teams a little bit of leeway. You know, early in the season, you're kind of uh, figuring out the kinks and whatnot. But that game against Bowling Green, I looked at it and said, man, you had a fifth-year quarterback, returning running back, some veteran pieces on the offensive line, a couple returners on defense. Uh, that that game just shouldn't have been as close for as long as it was. They eventually pulled away. But, you know, aside from the Colorado game, it's been about as shaky of a start to to get to that 4-0 benchmark for, for the Bruins as you could have asked for. But they've got an opportunity to wipe that all away, right? You beat Washington. No one's going to remember the South Alabama game other than it was a win on the resume because you beat Washington. You're in the top probably 20, at least 25, but probably top 20 nationally. And, and that's a place where the Bruins just haven't been all that often, even since Chip Kelly ha- has gotten there, you know, really not since that, that LSU game. I think it's the biggest game for, for UCLA since the LSU game a, a season ago. We'll get to the actual matchup and what UCLA has to do to win the game after I remind you that if you wanted to bet it, which is currently, maybe it'll change, you never know, sitting at Washington at minus three, Bet Online is your number one source for your football betting info this season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find, including this one and every game in the Pac-12. And as always, Bet Online remains your continued source for all your sport wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including Major League Baseball, Go Mariners, MMA, Boxing, and my personal favorite, Golf. Head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. So, Zach, let's get into the actual game that, that is coming on Friday that I'm, I'm stoked for. I, I think it could be uh, a really, really, really good game. And, and I want to start real quick with where you're leaning on the, the betting side of, of things because I think it's enticing to look at plus three and say, look, these are you know, both 4-0 teams, they're relatively e- evenly matched. I'm just going to take whoever's getting the points because it could be a, a nail-biter here. But I, I, I'm kind of leaning towards Washington minus three right now because I don't know if I trust UCLA's defense to get enough stops. I thought it might be better for them with a new defensive coordinator like it has been for Oregon State when they promoted Trent Bray from within. Their defense has been markedly better than a season ago. But for UCLA... They allowed 31 points, I believe it was, to a Sunbelt team at home. I, I, they haven't given me a lot of confidence. Penix and the offense are, are rolling. So do you think that there is value just intrinsically on looking at that UCLA plus three and saying, 
the Bruins could could either win this game or or lose by one or two. There's value simply because they're playing at home and Washington hasn't left home, right? There's just that value where there might be a little energy. They can come through and maybe there's a road atmosphere. The joke is there's been no road atmosphere in the Rose Bowl so far, but I think there is value in the fact that UCLA in the second half tends to dominate. When they go in the locker room, they come back. They're a completely different team, regardless of how bad they looked in the first half. So I think this will be close. And you should definitely uh, look UCLA. That's my thing. It'll be close. I'm arguing this one can go to overtime and be well within that three, two to one point margin, depending on which way it goes. Maybe even get to the two point conversions back and forth. Well, maybe that crazy. We'll see. I, yeah, I, I'd lean the Washington side here because they've been more impressive through four games than UCLA, but I don't know if I have enough confidence in that to put it in uh, my, my Pac-12 prime picks this week. We will see on tomorrow's edition of uh, the show, but getting to the, the, the nitty gritty of the game, Zach, what is the biggest concern you have going up against this Washington Huskies team that has been slinging it all around the field, scoring a lot of points, and the defense looks to be just as productive as it was a season ago, which was top three or four in the Pac-12? Yeah, I think the Washington defense has, what, 15 sacks or something ridiculous in their first four games. They've just been getting after the quarterback. And the other thing is they've been protecting a very fragile Michael Penix Jr. He's not been sacked once this year. I've seen they've allowed two sacks. That was their backup O-line with their backup quarterback. So Penix Jr. has not been touched. And this is a guy who has not played more than six games in a single season dating back to when he registered in 18, what, two ACL injuries, a guy who had a season-ending injury, career-ending, or Indiana career-ending injury, if you will, then transferring to Washington. So the biggest thing is, can UCLA get pressure? I was talking about this on my own show, but just looking at it so recently, if UCLA can generate any pressure and maybe just rattle him, Penix Jr. is a guy who has not been touched this year, is prone to injury, and while we we all pray he stays upright, he's a... He's an electric, electric quarterback. If he gets any pressure or goes back and re- results into the turnover bug he's seen, like last year, he had two, three interception games. In 21 career games, I think I noticed, he had like 16 interceptions. Only one this year, ironically enough, against Portland State, the worst team that he's faced on the schedule, funny enough. But in passes 10 yards or deeper down the field, he is one of the best at completing passes going vertical. He's got the most yards when throwing deep on t- passes 10 or f- yards further. And he's got no interceptions when going down the field and only eight touchdowns. So if UCLA can't get any pressure or if they kind of take a page out of that SC playbook and find any way to turn him over, get an interception of any way, anyhow, then they can slow down. I'm saying slow down Kalen DeBoer's offense with Michael Penix Jr. at the helm. They can slow him down. There's no stopping it. There's no stopping. It's just slowing down is the hope to maybe having the offense just outpace them slightly is I would say the hope as a Bruins fan and just kind of looking at it from a UCLA perspective. Yeah, he's been really good throwing the ball down the field. And you mentioned the eight touchdowns. I think you slipped in the word only on accident, but I don't think that's the word that that you were going for there because he's thrown 10 touchdowns to one interception this season. And a lot of them have been on on some deep shots. Uh, a number of them came against Michigan State. He completed other deep passes as well, had I think like 400 yards passing in that game, 300 yards a week ago against the, the Cardinal. He, he's been tough to slow down. I agree with you on the pressure aspect, though, not just because, you know, he's not an incredible athlete. He's not immobile, 
but you watch him and you could find defensive ends in, in this conference and beyond that that can keep up with him and prevent him from breaking contained to buy time. You know, he's not a DTR. He's not a, a even a Cam Rising. He's not a, a Bo Nix or a Chance Knoll who can outrun those sorts of guys. But he's, he, yeah, 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 exactly. He's mobile ish. But you touched on a great point. Pressure is always the way you disrupt a quarterback. And it's always the way you disrupt an offense first and foremost, right? If you can get pressure with just four or five guys, you have a lot of things at your disposal as a defensive coordinator. And that's what Bill McGovern, I'm sure, would love to see. But when you can get pressure on a guy who hasn't seen it this year and who hasn't had to face it and has been mostly comfortable sitting back there in the pocket, I think it adds a level of disruption even more so than what you would normally have when when you get pressure on on an offense. And if you don't want them taking shots down the field for UCLA, yeah, you have to be able to get in the back in the backfield, right? Yeah, you have to. The DBs have to be a ball hawk. Any way, any shape, whatever, UCLA secondary needs a pick. But going back to the line and getting pressure, Leatu Latu. Remember that name. Husky fans know it too well. UCLA fans got a welcoming from him just dominating at least a good portion of that Colorado game. The guy who was forced to medically retire from Washington's uh, medical personnel found his way to UCLA. He's going to come in with an edge on his shoulder. No, no grudge against Kalen DeBoer, who came in after the fact, but he went in the transfer portal. He is probably going to want to take it to the Huskies and just take down Michael Penix Jr., a guy who was forced to medically retire with a neck injury, some way, somehow unretired, and was a force last week against the Buffaloes. That's one guy who could want to take Penix Jr. down to the turf time and time again. And it hasn't been an easy thing so far uh, against this Washington offensive line to do that. So who are the players that the Bruins, uh, besides Latu, need to step up? Or is it just going to be a situation where Bill McGovern, the defensive coordinator, will have to dial up some pressures at the right time to make Michael Penix uncomfortable and uh, get him off his spots? I think the hope would be schematically find something that confuses him once, maybe get a weird deflection that gets a pick, whatever it is, whether it's a Stefan Blaylock, whether it's a, an Azizi Hearn, John John Vons, just someone who can get an interception one way, one how. Jalen Davies has gotten a pick. It's someone in the secondary that's got to make a play. If you want to consistently put him into any trouble, then it's just anybody in the defensive line as UCLA fans would know, Murphy twin. We're not going to say who, just Murphy twin. That's the joke in the UCLA side of things. Murphy twin, because the coaches don't know who it is. Grayson or Gabriel, either way, Murphy twin. We'll just go with that. And either a ball hawk in the secondary or Murphy twin, one of two, and Leatu Latu would be my guys to look out for on the defensive side for the Bruins. Let's go offensively for UCLA, because this is a Washington team whose offense is making all the headlines because it's much improved from last year. They're explosive. Penix is putting up gaudy numbers. They deserve all the praise they've been getting so far. And I think that's causing the Washington defense to get overshadowed a little bit because they're also playing well. And Michigan State racked up some points when they were down, but the Spartans couldn't move the ball. They could not move the ball against the Huskies defense. The Cardinal only put up 22 points, and I think they only had, I think, two scores maybe in the late in the third quarter, and then they got one or two in the fourth. It has been another good year defensively for Washington, which is impressive because he lost, you know, basically the entire defensive staff, if memory serves. I don't know if they had any holdovers in there. Maybe there was a, 
you know, assistant or someone who, who stayed, but you have a new defensive staff and the offense gets all attention because it's football in 2022 offense always gets the attention, but there's a Washington defense that is still good. They have good players. The secondary's got players. Zion Tupuola Fatui is a good player on the defensive front and, and as a part of that front seven. What do you see from this Husky defense that, that UCLA has to have success against if they're going to get the victory? I mean, one, I think it's the, avoid getting sacked. Both teams, I think, offensively is to avoid pressure, right? I think UCLA will be able to run the football with, with some success. We saw Charbonnet found a way to look amazing against a terrible run defense against Colorado. I think they'll have some success. I'm not sure if we'll see Charbonnet streaking for days over and over. But are you tell are you telling me, Zach? Hold hold the phone. Hot take alert. Are you telling me you don't think Zach Charbonnet is gonna go for 104 yards on nine carries with three (laughs) touchdowns this week? Is that what you're telling me? That's blasphemous. Uh, uh, So blasphemous. I think the thing is he won't be juking (laughs) Washington defenders like he was juking Buffaloes last week. The big thing is how look at the number of carries Charbonnet gets this week. I think that'll be a telling number, even more than what Washington does defensively. Of course, any pressure could easily disrupt DTR. We talk about uh, Penix's turnover numbers, DTR in 41 career games, picks alone, 27 interceptions. So he's a guy who can cough up the football any which way, also a fragile guy. He's missed some games. So you have kind of interesting quarterbacks who through their first 16 or 21 career games have thrown 16 picks. Over a variety of years, you have uh, DTR who's popped, who's fumbled the football and been injured as well. But the big thing is, how many carries will Charbonnet get? That will kind of detail his health and how far they're willing to push him against a game they actually need him against Washington. I want to ask you about Charbonnet in just a moment. But first, I think it's fascinating because you just don't see this very often. You have two quarterbacks in this game, Zach, who are in their fifth year of college football. DTR is in his fifth year. year. Yeah, and and Penix could have one more because I believe he redshirted as a a freshman and he played played a little bit, but he's got another year of eligibility after this one. This is it for DTR, and he's been the Bruins quarterback for such a long time, and he's grown so much. But how do you look at these two quarterbacks in the context of both guys are in their fifth year of college. Fifth year of college football. New team for Penix, familiar coordinator who he had success with at Indiana in 2019. And DTR has had the same voice in his head for five years now, right? This being the fifth. And that's Chip Kelly. They've had offensive coordinators come and go. That's pretty common. But Chip Kelly's been there. DTR has been there. Th- this is a matchup that has got two quarterbacks who have just played a lot of football. And to me, that's what makes this game kind of ripe for a shootout. Not just that UCLA's defense has struggled and that UCLA's offense is capable of being explosive, but you got two guys who are going to come out and they're going to be ready for this moment because DTR has come out week one and beaten UCLA a season ago. Michael Penix had a thriller against Penn State in 2020 and has won football games. Neither guy is going to come out under the bright lights on ESPN Friday night and be Kirk Cousins out there, right? Where you just look and go, man, is he, he must be all in his head about being in prime time. That's not what, what's going to happen here. What do you make of these two quarterbacks? 
I think the matchup, is, I think the good word would be it's fascinating that they're both, you look at it, you could kind of see like they're they're here for so long, but for Penix Jr., it's almost as if you look at him, it's just been bad luck, right? He's been on the verge of a peak and then everything yeah. just right when he's about to make that move, it, it, the season is ripped out from underneath him, whether it be with DeBoer or continuing on with Indiana. It seems like he's reaching his peak and blossoming here or out there in Seattle and looking ready to take the stage again against yes. the Bruins on, on Friday night. For DTR, you could argue, all right, he made all his mistakes early. He's grown. He had that big moment against SC last year. He was a part of that big LSU win last year. But he's looking for another signature win of his own to help vault the Bruins. He said his own words amongst any, many of the veteran Bruins. They want to be in the Rose Bowl in January of January 2nd of 2023. DTR is completing 75% of his passes. It's not electric like Penix Jr., who's going deep down the field, but DTR, outside of that first game, you know, against Bowling Green, he's been finding his targets and he's avoided the interception. You could argue that both picks for each starting quarterback has come against their worst opponent. And would it be controversial to say UCLA's worst opponent was Bowling Green, not Alabama State? <laughs> we'll kind of we'll tread lightly there. But uh, just, just as the joking front, both quarterbacks intriguing veteran presences Penix the flashy DTR can do a little more he can beat you multiple ways but it's it's just quite the matchup that you don't even know whether you want to go with the over how far over with the points we should be entertained with a classic NCAA 14 video game like finish in this one I am so here for any and all NCAA 14 references and if you haven't played college football revamped out there Get yourself to do it because it is the greatest game. It's even better. It's just a better version of NCAA 14. That's 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 exactly what it is. But I could go on a 30-minute tangent about that. Zach Charbonnet could be an important player in this game. And this was something I discussed a week ago when framing the matchup of Oregon State and USC. And I thought one way that Oregon State could keep the USC offense from exploding for a bunch of points is running the football. Because run the ball use the clock a little bit, keep the offense on the sideline. Do you think that that is the best way for the Bruins to slow down this Washington offense is to just keep them from having the football? Or do you think that it has to be the defense to step up and be able to create pressure, a turnover or two, and get off the field on third down? This, at least in my mind, kind of feels eerily similar to Kalen DeBoer's team in Fresno State, which is the better defense. So this kind of reminds me of that game last year in the Rose Bowl heading in. Both teams undefeated, except UCLA is the underdog at home on a Friday night, this time nationally televised. So it's just different that they're, you know, favored com coming in from last year. So UCLA, if they can run the football, that's big. The big problem for UCLA has been when they can get to the red zone, when they make big plays, they don't always make opponents pay. And Washington will make you pay. They'll go down the field and they'll score in a couple seconds. And it, it is important for UCLA to control the clock. But as we know, Chip Kelly, it's not always in his forte to slow things down, right? The big thing is the drives, whether long or short, for either side, have to end in the end zone. And while you could argue you might relean on Washington's kicker a bit more despite Barmira's resurgence after week one, it, either way, you, it, whoever has the most drives that are, you know, this, it's simple football. Whoever can take advantage of getting in the red zone, red zone efficiency, even though Washington loves the big play, will probably win this game. And that'll be who, which defense 
doesn't break and only bends. That would be the best way, regardless of how much time UCLA takes with the football. Washington can take their two seconds. Again, NCAA 14S can still go down the field in 40, 75 yards and score a touchdown. It is what it is. They've got big playability. Who can find the way to be efficient and end the most drives and touchdowns? Sounds stupidly simple, but then again, in a game that could be decided by a point or less in yards, inches, an index card, whatever it is, it can all it's all going to come down to efficiency and execution in a moment of truth, whether it be at the 19-yard line or from their own 15. It's just that simple, regardless of how well either team's throwing or running the football. All right, Zach, time for the uh, the statements that we're obligated to make so that people may hold us accountable for either our brilliance or utter stupidity. It is time for our predictions for uh, this particular game. And this is not going to go in my Pac-12 prime picks because I, I really I have a couple big questions about this game, not just, you know, what kind of home home field advantage is UCLA going to have, but how does Washington perform without a home field at or, or a home crowd at their backs? How do they perform going on the road? But I, I think relative to some other matchups this week, this will be one of the better ones. I think it'll be the best matchup in the Pac-12. I am going to lean the Huskies here because they've impressed me more through four games than UCLA has so far. I'll take Washington 34-28. I think they get it done. The tough one about this matchup is you can kind of choose who you want to win, but then choosing the right points is going to be so tough, right? You can go crazy high with the 40s or the 30s. I'm going to go crazy. This one's going to overtime. I'm going to say that now. Oh, we're We're getting overtime. UCLA 38, Washington 35. That's where I'm going. I think oh. we're, getting, we're getting overtime. Overtime for Zach. He's confident in the Bruins. We'll see if that comes to fruition in the game of the week of the Pac-12. This Friday, Zach Anderson, Yoxheimer at Zach underscore and underscore Yox on Twitter. Host of Lockdown UCLA Bruins on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to stay up to date with daily content on the Bruins over there and all the details and what he's got you covered. Zach, great to have you on the show. And man, I'm looking forward to this game. Yeah, uh, we're, we're excited. It's Friday night in prime time. So whatever it is, we hope for a great matchup. Can't wait. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.